Hello, and welcome to the Power Your Advice podcast. The Power Your Advice podcast is designed to bring financial advisors new ideas, why those ideas should be considered, and how to implement them into your business. This podcast is brought to you by Advisorpedia, the best place for advisors to grow their minds and businesses. And now, please join your host, Doug Heikinen. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. We are live at the Axos Advisor Service Conference, Focus on the Future in Denver, Colorado. We're joined by Art Day, who is a partner at Day Hagen Asset Management, an asset manager that provides disciplined, qualitative, quantitative, scientific, unemotional, and model-based approach to investing. Just let me do that over. We're joined by Art Day, a partner for Day Hagen Asset Management, an asset manager that provides disciplined, quantitative, scientific, unemotional, and model-based approach to investing. Welcome to the podcast, Art. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Give us a summary on your path to Day Hagen. Was financial services and the financial markets something that always interested you? Well, I've always been considered a risk taker. So obviously I picked the right profession, needless <laughs> to say. So I started trading in 1982. Uh, doing options, and then I got an offer to work for a company called Dean Witter Reynolds. Some of, of you may know that name yeah. from way back. Yeah. Uh, I was uh, transitioned to E.F. Hutton in, um, it was April of 1987. Auspicious timing, because October 1987, of course, we had the crash. Uh-huh. And then January of 1988, there's no more Lehman, uh, E.F. Hutton. It became Shearson Lehman Hutton. So I was there until 1993. I transitioned over to Payne Weber when they made me an offer I couldn't refuse, and that turned out to be a good choice. Uh, They eventually turned into UBS, and that happened uh, in 2000. And then I came across an individual named Don Hagen, the Hagen of the day Hagen, who started his career with Ned Davis Research in the 80s and 90s. And uh, I decided to leave the retail uh, business and uh, go into the investment management side with Don Hagen, so in 2006, Day Hagen Asset Management became a reality. And uh, once again, we had the great fortune of getting in uh, the business right before 2008. Uh, but then we have grown precipitously since then. And we've been fortunate enough, as a consequence of my partner's uh, alliance in his previous career with Ned Davis Research, to be 50-50 partners with them. And they have been the catalyst for us developing these proprietary models, these quantitative models that you reference that we provide now to a multitude of different platforms as well as uh, major wirehouses, regionals, and uh, the independents as well. How has it evolved over the years since, since you began it? When we initially started, Don had had a career, my partner Don Hagen, his career had started uh, with Ned Davis Research. He wound up with a company called SCI Capital uh, that was in Iowa, and he brought the uh, Ned Davis discipline and philosophy along with him. And he was the main portfolio manager for that firm. He did so well, Wells Fargo took notice. As a byproduct of that, they bought the firm Lock, Stock, and Barrel. And, of course, they wanted Don because he was the catalyst for everything that went right. And uh, he, they timed to the three-year contract. When he got to Wells Fargo and still using Ned Davis research, he uh, ultimately wound up becoming the, the key manager of their $7 billion key port- for portfolio. But they were not really following the tactical style discipline that he had, you know, pioneered to a degree when he was at Ned Davis Research, so he went off on his own. That's how we wound up meeting. He left in 2003. We met in 2005. And he had a tactical model. And going back to that point in time, tactical was not a word that was very common in the uh, brokerage vernacular, to say the least. 
and we actually launched one of the first tactical mutual funds that ever came to market. Uh, now it's, it's prolific. Everybody's using the term. It's all over the place. Uh, but then we uh, advanced on with Ned Davis Research, creating global macro models, and ultimately now the main focus has been this smart sector series that we have uh, incubated in 2016 and have since launched three smart sector ETFs on the New York Stock Exchange. And that's been the focus, and it's utilized on an individual basis as well as constructing a lot of uh, global macro models as well. We have U.S., we have fixed income, we have international. You get asked this all the time, but <clears throat> what's going on with the markets this year? What can you tell us about it? In my close to 40 years in being the business, I'm going to quote one of my favorite people, John Kenneth Galbraith, who basically now deceased, but he had a great line. There's only two people who can really tell you what the market's going to do. Those who don't know, and those who don't know, they don't know. Okay? <laughs> but bottom line, this has been a challenging time. And yeah. uh, since March of 2009, we have not had any really protracted uh, downtrends like we saw like in the 2000, 2002, or 2008, 2009. And that's been the challenge. You know, basically, it's been a whipsaw scenario where the markets will decline, and all of a sudden, they go back up. And the eternal question that keeps asking is these bear market rallies. Uh, the market is misbehaving again today as a consequence of the Fed raising rates. And I was not there to hear what uh, Powell had to say, but obviously the market was up earlier after he raised the rates, and now it finished down. So it's been a very trying circumstance. Uh, the uh, yings and yangs, and also as a consequence of uh, uh, algorithm trading and whatnot, and also low liquidity in the markets right now is exasperating a lot of things that go on, unfortunately. But um, you know, having quantitative unemotional indicators does help there's no panacea, but this has definitely been, <laughs> in my 40 careers, you know, as challenging. The old expression goes, you know, the markets, uh, they don't do exactly the same thing, but they kind of rhyme, you know, and that's basically what we're doing. So we're basically trying to identify is, uh, are we in an environment that would really uh, be a, what's called a garden variety bear market, which typically is you would have a drawdown in the 20, 22% area. Or are we going to have a recessionary bar, bear market? And those are the more serious ones that you would potentially be down, you know, in the, the mid-30s and 40s. So our indicators are show, trying to discern where we are at in regards to that cycle. Well, I kind of hesitate to ask my next question um, because of your last answer. But what do you, you and the team expect for the rest of the year? How are you positioning everything? Well, you have peaks and troughs in regards to all type of cyclicality in regards to everything. The main focus, obviously, has been inflation. And some of the indicators we're seeing is that inflation has potentially rolled over, okay? So in a declining environment, that would, uh, you know, if you peaked, that potentially could give us a year-end rally. You know, the markets may misbehave now going in for another two, three, or four weeks. That's entirely possible. September, on a seasonal basis, has historically always been a pretty uh, negative month. But we potentially see the markets may have a year-end rally, but that doesn't uh, clear everything for us. You know, we're not out of the woods, as it were. Uh, we definitely see the potential for a uh, serious recession in 2023 at some point in time. The real question is, is that going to be starting sooner, meaning this year, or are we going to get the rallies? Because some of the indicators are... Uh, you know, showing that we might have peaked in some things, and it's contingent on the Federal Reserve being able to have a soft landing or a hard landing. And the general consensus, consensus is that the odds really favor more of a hard landing, which does not set up for a great scenario for 2023. Are the markets like a fantastic puzzle for you? Well, 
it's um, it, well, obviously the puzzles that I uh, I like to work on, you know, yeah, along yeah. with all my grouping. And as I said, you know, markets they always have similar natures to them in yeah. regards to the ups and downs, you know, but they're not exact. Like as I said earlier, they do rhyme. Okay, and it's trying to uh, read through that. You know, we have the advantage of being uh, working in conjunction with Ned Davis Research as them being our 50-50 partners. So we're looking at macroeconomics, fundamentals, technicals, sentiment, behavioral indicators. So there's a lot that's baked into it. The equations usually come through about 50% being on what would typically referred to as the fundamental side, 50% being on the technical side. You know, momentum has a lot to do with the market. And as we say, fundamentals will tell you what the market should be doing. Technicals will tell you what the market is doing. So when you have a combination of those two, it gives you a lot higher probability of being on the right side of the trend. But I always say there's no panacea. Okay, it's all predicated on probability. I do believe, of course, as I would, that the process we have really gives us a lot better uh, feel for directions. But you know, due to the illiquidity in the markets and a lot of the uh, algo trading currently right now, you know, it's it exasperated scenarios that definitely has made it a lot tougher environment to navigate. So let's take the war in Ukraine. 300,000 unlucky Russians are now being drafted in the military. Putin's doubling down. So what do events like that, how do they factor into the way you guys think? Well, it's interesting because if you saw when the Ukraine war initially started, it was basically in a lot of the financial headlines. And now it's kind of drifted away and whatnot. You know, I, uh, it's interesting. You know, you wonder of uh, what's actually going on there. Obviously, it's a travesty, you know, loss of human life, things that have gone on. But at the same time, you have Zelensky and his wife, you know, posing for the cover of Vogue. So, I mean, this is the type of stuff that, you know, you can't make up, you know? You know what I'm saying? So, you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe Putin was mad that he didn't get the cover of Vogue. I have no idea. Maybe. But, you know, when you're talking about the strains that would happen on energy and whatnot, but obviously since the, the, any, any ancillary spike in energy we had as a byproduct of the Ukraine war, uh, we are now have energy prices are below or right at when the Ukraine war started. So you no longer can look at that as a major catalyst for that being. Now, with that being said, if, the, if the somehow that was resolved in a very timely fashion, which I don't think anybody believes is going to occur, uh, that could definitely have a positive impact on the markets. But the main driving force of what was going on there was the effect on the energy prices. But as I said, they have reversed back to the point of where they were before the Ukraine war. So how much of an impact that will be? As we all know, I mean, that is hardly, even though it's as dire as it ever has been, it is hardly headline news anymore at this point. You have an investment committee of five people. What's the process there? Well, that's the interesting thing. When you talk about investment committees, those are people who are basically kind of drawing on their own resources and whatnot. We really are predicated on a quantitative approach, scientific, mathematical, okay? And, uh, and basically, as a consequence of decades that have been established over, uh, I mean, indicators and processes through Ned Davis Research that have been established over decades. So we basically are more inclined to basically work on the modeling based on the indicators to find out where they would work within the proprietary modeling to give us the optimum outcome. So as the committee, as you would say, or Day Hagen in conjunction with Ned Davis Research, we basically are more involved with making sure that the modeling is staying relevant. And one of the advantages of that is Ned Davis Research has 30 full-time analysts. So as I tell a lot of people, and I talk to many, many hundreds, in some case over, you know, well over a thousand, two thousand advisors, you know, that uh, with Ned Davis research, uh, you know, 
they have decades of experience that basically helps us just give us a higher probability in regards to the modeling. But we don't just rest on our laurels. As a consequence of having the depth of the bench that they do, we're constantly reviewing and looking at the indicators. We, we tell people on a quarterly basis, I can tell you during times like this, we're literally looking at it on a 24-7 basis because we just want to make sure that the modeling is doing that. If we decide that there's an indicator or something in the model is not working and optimized the way we think that it should be, we, it's a very drawn-out process. Point being is that many strategies will run uh, models, and they're literally using one, two, or three indicators, which is absolutely kind of mind-boggling to me. Because when you look at indicators through a market cycle, literally every single indicator at some point in the market cycle will not be effective. It's not, it's not relevant. It's about 80 90% of the time. So if you're using only a couple of indicators, the problem is, is that it's the equivalency of putting all your weight on a single branch. If the branch breaks, you got a problem. That happened for a lot of people in March in 2020. As a consequence of using dozens and dozens of indicators through all these different uh, facets, macroeconomics, fundamentals, technical sentiment, behavioral, and not resting on our laurels, if we have an indicator that we don't feel is being effective, we don't just try to replace it with someone else and say, hey, let's see how this is going to work. It's going to take anywhere from a two- to four-month process of us vetting it, running it through the cycles. So we're very, we spend a long time putting the models together, and if we're going to make any adaptation, there's a long process, and as it should be, I believe, to make sure that if we're going to make any effective changes, it's going to actually be relevant and not doing it just for the sake of doing it. So the modeling tells you where the opportunities are and what to stay away from. That, exactly. So bottom line, uh, one of the main models uh, is a U.S. S&P 500 model called the, uh, I love this, uh, this is the, the tongue twister name, the Day Hagen, Ned Davis Research, smart sector with the catastrophic stop. Okay. <laughs> All right. Three times fast. Right. Yeah, no thanks. Yeah. So, so bottom line, there's, there's a sector rotation under the hood of that strategy, along with a uh, risk management uh, model on, on, as an overlay. But basically, on a monthly basis, literally with all the strategies, we look at the indicators, and the indicators will tell us, based on the sector or based on the international region, whether it should be an overweight, a market weight, or an underweight. Okay. So that happens on a monthly basis. So that's relevant. So, for example, energy. Since March of 2021, we've been overweight energy, okay? And that has been the right call, okay? It most recently, over the past couple of months, has reduced exposure. So it's more to like a neutral, uh, high neutral, when obviously energy is sold off. So that's the key thing, overweight and underweighting relative to the benchmark of what's going on in the uh, different uh, sphere that we might be uh, playing in. Last one. What advice do you have to someone interested in the markets just starting out today? It's such a different place than when <laughs> we started how would somebody get their head around it to have a career in this? The old thing used to be the expression, patience was a virtue, okay? Where basically, you know, and I remember I started the business in 1982 doing some trading. And the old timers used to walk in and say, hey, kid, just come in here and buy Ma Bell, you know, AT&T. Okay, well, AT&T no longer exists. The name exists, but it's Southern Bell. The original company is gone. Matter of fact, the Dow 30, which used to be the Dow 20, you know, the, the 30 most relevant stocks that are representative of the U.S. economy, okay? Well, none of the original names that started in the Dow 30 are now around. GE was the final, and that got kicked out about two years ago. So it's not a buy-hold mentality. I mean, if you have 20, 30, 40 years, you do a generation-skipping trust or something like that, if you're messing for your kids, that probably is going to work out. 
but you're going to endure uh, extended time periods. And the problem is emotion. And that's why we talk about our unemotional process is the killer. Very few people can sit around and say, oh, I'm down 40%. I'm okay with that. They're not. They'll make calls. In March of 2009, after we had a 2008 meltdown, and then the market uh, slid another 26 27% into March of 2009, it was the largest liquidation of retail investors on Wall Street's history. So to an individual who's going to get involved with the market, understanding that you've got to be involved with somebody as a process that's going to identify those areas of opportunity because you're going to have seasonality, you're going to have things that are going to change, you're going to have bull markets, bear markets, recessions. You've got to have something that's going to be dynamic enough, but also process enough and not be knee-jerk reactions. So that's kind of paramount. So you got to seek out somebody. Here's my plug. Okay. Uh, you, know, <laughs> you know, so like uh, you know, Day Hagen Asset Management and these smart sector series that you can buy these ETFs and they're tax efficient. And at the end of the day, uh, that's going to be the best way to do it because you have to have something that's going to be reactive. Okay, I mean proactive, not reactive to the markets. Because if you're waiting and you wait too long, that's not going to be an issue. And if motion gets in the, in the process, that's definitely going to be an issue. And that's one one of the things that we definitely uh, eliminate from the process. No panacea; it's all predicated on probability. But uh, uh, we do a, I think, a better than most job. But uh, I think any individual needs to find somebody who's qualified, who understands the dynamics of truly being tactical, uh, but understanding the underlying of what they utilize in order to reach that end decision as well. They need to do their homework. They need to do their research. Art, it's been just fascinating. Thank you so much for being with us today. Ah, my pleasure. Thank you. To learn more about Art and his team at Day Hagen Asset Management, please check out dayhagen.com. Please follow us for all the latest updates on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook, all at Advisorpedia. For everybody at Advisorpedia and the Power Advice podcast team, this is Doug Heikinen.